Hello and welcome to the Bold Believer Podcast, a podcast focusing on apologetics and faith-based questions and answers, diving deep into the historical evidence for the Christian faith, truths founded in Scripture, and how it plays out in the world we live in today. And now, here is your host, Josh Snyder. Alrighty, welcome back to the Bold Believer Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Josh Snyder in the Bold Believer Studio today. We are going to be coming at you with another episode in the Faith Defense Series. We've done a couple of them thus far, and we will continue to build upon this apologetics-based outlined uh, series as we uh, progress forward with the Bold Believer podcast, uh, as well as we'll continue other episodes with the framework like you've seen in many of the other ones that we've released already, with just general inspiration from the Word of God, uh, insight into some faith and cultural issues, and uh, many other things like that. So thank you first and foremost for stopping by and listening to this week's episode. Uh, As always, if you haven't done so already, please follow or like the podcast wherever you get it if you want to help us boost it and to grow it, as well as uh, consider sharing it with a friend. If you like what you hear or you want to help support and help us grow, please consider sharing this uh, with a friend. It's all part of the process of growth, especially when it comes to something that we just organically grow like the Bold Believer podcast. Uh, Once again, I am in the studio by myself today, and I will be tackling one of my favorite issues, and I guess most of the things that we say on here and most of the topics we put out on here are favorite issues, so I probably overuse the term favorite. But this one in particular is foundational to the Christian faith. It's up there with the resurrection of Jesus Christ and uh, Christ's deity. I'm going to be tackling today the book that changed the world, or simply the uniqueness of the Bible. Uh, Before we do that, though, we're going to get to the bold joke of the day. Today's bold joke comes once again from the exponentially bad dad joke book, and today's joke comes simply in a statement. Did you know if your feet smell and your nose is running, you're probably built upside down? Upset. Uh, Okay. Go share that with a friend. Make the world a better place from the bad dad joke from yours truly to your home. Anyway, jumping right into today's topic on a more, much more serious note, we're going to be talking a bit about the uniqueness of the Bible. Once again, as, as we have been using for the Faith Defense series, I'll be using Evidence That Demands a Verdict, a book by Sean and Josh McDowell as an outline to give us a framework of which we can speak from. I will be given some of their keynote points from the chapter on the uniqueness of the Bible. I find it uh, quite intriguing, and I hope it doesn't go over your head. And one of the reasons why I'm just using it as an outline is because if I read everything word for word, sometimes it can get very, very uh, wordy or brainy, uh, which is good, just may not be good for uh, everybody to be able to listen to and understand. So I want to try to bring it down into more layman terms when speaking of the uniqueness of Scripture. And then what makes it significant? You know, that's something we got to establish whenever we speak on any topic that we set out to speak on. What makes it unique and what makes it significant. And so today I'd like to do that with the Word of God. Before we begin uh, the outline part of this, I'd like to give you this quick illustration that I believe ties home a very key point. Uh, There were three best friends walking through the forest one afternoon. They had no particular destination, but they knew that they wanted to explore as much as they could. And as they were walking, they came up on this raging river, this river that was fairly wide and definitely very dangerous as far as the eye could see. They come up to the banks of this river, and they look across, and they begin to think, how can we cross this river? 
The first friend, the most confident of them all and the most spiritual-minded, steps up to the banks and states very loudly to God, God, I, I believe I have the faith to cross this river, so I, I, I pray that you give me the strength to cross it safely. All of a sudden, lightning falls from heaven and zaps this first individual. He grows big, muscular arms and huge, muscular legs, and he jumps in this raging river and swims across it. The two friends, in astonishment, on looking this event, uh, seeing their friend almost drown a few times, would eventually make his way out onto the other side. The second friend stands up and with a renewed sense of confidence because of what he had just seen, he begins to pray out loud as his first friend did and he says, oh God, I don't want to almost drown like my friend, but I have the faith that you can help me cross this river and so please give me the strength and the tools to cross it to the other side safely. All of a sudden, lightning falls from heaven and zaps his second friend. He sprouts big arms, big legs, and he looks down on the shore and sees a little one-person rowboat. He runs down to that rowboat, gets in the rowboat, and begins to paddle across. After almost capsizing a few times and fighting against very large and strong currents, he makes it to the other side safely. And as they wait for their final friend to cross, this third individual steps up to the banks and very humbly begins to pray, God, I, I don't want to almost capsize like my friend. I don't want to have to swim across this raging river. So please give me the strength, the tools, and the knowledge to cross this raging river. All of a sudden, lightning falls from heaven, zaps him, and he turns into a, a woman, and uh, he pulls out the map that he had in his back pocket of the geography all along. He realizes there's a, a bridge just down the river, and he goes down to that bridge and crosses over safely. <laughs> the point of this illustration is not the fact that he turned into a woman, because that's not actually possible. <clears throat> We're not going to get into that. But, but the point of this illustration is to come back to the idea that we need to always go back to the roadmap. We always need to go back to the direction giver or the, uh, the book that directs our lives. Because this life is a lot more uh, treacherous, a lot more strong, a lot more intense than a raging river. And it's a lot more long-term in most cases. A lot will come at us and, well... We have a book that claims to have the answers, and I believe that centuries and centuries and centuries of time have rung true that the Word of God, the Bible, as we hold it today, and then over the years, the canon of Scripture as it was compiled in the Old Testament and many of these other elements that have gone into making the very Bible that we have today, I believe this very book holds true and rings true for us today. But let's discuss a little bit about its uniqueness, what makes it uh, what makes it true, what makes it significant, what makes it important for us. And I believe it will be an encouragement to you and your faith today. People often make the comment, oh, you don't read the Bible, do you? Or they'll say stuff like, well, the Bible is just one of many books that you ought to read. And then they go on to list a bunch of their favorite books. Others have a Bible in their library, describing how it sits on the shelf next to the greats, quote-unquote, the other great books such as Homer's Odyssey, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, or Austin's Pride and Prejudice. Their Bible may be dusty, not broken in, but they still recognize its historical influence. Thinking of its one of the classics, thinking that it's just another book that has stood the test of time. Still, others make degrading comments about the Bible because they are surprised that anyone might take it seriously enough to spend time 
reading it. The story of Josh McDowell is really significant, and if you haven't read the uh, testimony of Josh McDowell or heard him give his testimony, I challenge you to look it up. It is an amazing testimony. But at one point, he states in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and, and many other books that he has written, that he tried to refute the Bible as God's word to humanity. He goes on to conclude that not accepting the Bible must result from being either biased, prejudiced, or simply unread. And there's many reasons why he goes on to list this, and we'll have time to get into a few of them here today. Josh concluded that the best word to describe the Bible is the word unique. I believe this is the word that many people in history have given the Bible, and most of us cannot deny its uniqueness. There's very few people who will stand up and be able to, to hold water with the argument that it is not unique in its character. The Bible at first sight appears to be a collection of literature, mainly Jewish, And if we inquire into the circumstances under which the various biblical documents were written, we find that they were written at intervals over a space of nearly 1,400 years. The writers wrote in various lands, from Italy to the west to Mesopotamia and possibly Persia in the east. The writers themselves came from many different backgrounds, cultures, peoples, and even faiths at one point, all culminating at the foot of a cross or at the foot of an altar. Uh, In their ranks, we have kings, herdsmen, soldiers, legislators, fishermen, statesmen, uh, courtiers, priests, and prophets, uh, a tent-making rabbi, and a Gentile physician, not to speak of others whom we know nothing apart from the writings that they have left to us. So there are many people in Scripture who have written things out for us, coming from every single walk of life. It's very unique in its character. And then the writers of which it was written by uh, all came from different areas of the globe and of the world. I believe it was unique in its time span. While most scholars agree that all books of the New Testament were completed by the second half of the first century A.D., there is sufficient evidence to confirm that the earliest forms of the Bible were written during the time of the Hebrew exodus out of Egypt. We see the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy all being written uh, close to that time period of the Hebrew Exodus. And we don't have time to get into the Hebrew Exodus. That's at least a part of another episode sometime later on because there's a huge debate going on right now about whether or not the Hebrews truly were in the land of Egypt and whether or not they left and whether or not there was a Red Sea crossing and so on and so forth. Uh, And there's some amazing evidence that is being uncovered and has been uncovered uh, backing that up, and we don't have time to get into the validity of that here today, but we need to understand that this book has withstood the test of time. This means that the composition of the biblical writings from the earliest books of the Bible to the last of the New Testament writings spans a period of between 1300 and 1500 years, approximately. And in comparison to other uh, literary and historical works, the Bible is exponential in that it is written and assembled over a vast number of generations. It has been compiled up until the biblical canon was formed and put together and then uh, we have essentially what we uh, have today known as the Holy Bible. Uh, Again, a long story of how that all happened and how that all came together. Uh, That's another great uh, topic in which we can speak on. But the time span and its uniqueness was exponential and extraordinary. Next, we see the uniqueness of its geographical production. Unlike most or other literary works, the composition of and transmission of the biblical books did not emerge from 
uh, one community specifically or didn't emerge from one type of people specifically located in a single region of the ancient world. Rather, these works were written by people in areas as diverse as Rome in the west, Egypt in the south, Mesopotamia in the east. This amazing geographical and ethnic diversity distinguishes the Bible's origins from all other books. The Bible was written by many types of people, not only in over a long time span, but it was written by many cultures, many types of uh, individuals who came from totally different backgrounds, all culminating into this very book that we hold today, the Holy Bible. There was a uniqueness in its geographical production. Uh, thirdly, we see that there is a uniqueness in its authorship. Let's talk a little bit deeper about the authorship. The Bible is as diverse in its authorship as it is in its production over a long period of time and the multiple geographical regions in which it is originated. Authored by approximately 40 different people. 40 different people. Uh, again, we got to understand that the Bible is not just a single book, though I believe with all of my heart, based on what I have read for my whole life, that it all culminates to one singular, singular message, though there are many different messages in it. It all culminates pointing to one person, one event in history, and that being the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a collection of many, 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 many books all in one. Uh, its authorship was very unique. Its authorship was very widespread. We discover kings surrounded by power and wealth. For example, uh, Solomon. On the other hand, to the lower class uh, Galilean fishermen. For example, Peter and John writing a large portion of the New Testament. On the other hands, between these two different extremes, one finds an exiled prince, Moses. Uh, military leaders like Joshua and King David. Trained philosophers, for example, the authors of Job and Ecclesiastes. A tax collector, one that was hated by his own people because he was Jewish and collecting taxes from the Jewish people, Matthew. A historian, we see Luke was a historian and a doctor. A, a zealous Pharisee who became a Christian when God confronted him with his sin, uh, Paul. These authors recorded the stories of all kinds of people. Professor uh, Mary Ellen Chase once remarked, the storytellers of the Bible understood men and women of all sorts and all conditions. There's a, there's a long quote that goes on to follow some things that she speaks on about the uniqueness of these men. And we don't have time to get into to every single detail of what Josh and Sean McDowell put forth and some thoughts that come out of my mind on this awesome topic, this large topic. But I want to touch on these and give you a flavor of what makes the Bible so unique and why. And then why is it significant? We're going to tie it all back to what makes it significant here as we close out in just a little bit. But it's unique in its authorship. There are so many different people, 40 different writers approximately, writing this book that we hold today that you can read through every day and complete a full reading in under a year if you wanted to. And if you wanted to get real zealous about it, you could read it like you do some of your other books, like Twilight or, you know, think of your favorite book and how zealously you've read it through to get the whole story. Uh, I've done something that I, I've never done before. I've gone started reading the Bible from front to back. I started in the New Testament rather, but then I finished the New Testament and I came back around to Genesis and I'm reading it through the Old Testament all the way back through the New Testament. And I've never done it that way. I've always split it off and read it in sections as I was going through and, and diversified my reading, but I've never read it just timeline order uh, as I'm doing now. And what I am finding is that there is truly 
a large unfolding story. And in the Old Testament, there is a lot of messed up people, just as there was in the New Testament and just as there is in every generation. But the Bible does not shy away from mentioning those authors, those unique authors don't shy away from mentioning the things that went on in their day that was dead wrong, whether it was racial tensions, whether it was uh, issues between the sexes, whether it was, uh, you, you name it, there were problems upon problems upon problems, even in the line of Christ that could be found or can be found documented in Scripture that just go to show that we as men and women have a condition called sin that infects every single one of us. And I love that the authors did not leave out these indicators. Because here's the thing, if the book was made up, they would not be listing all of these amazing people's faults. We see King David. We think of King David. I hope I'm not talking too fast here. Follow me. If you had to slow down the podcast and listen to it a little slower, you can do so. But we see King David. What's the first thing that you think of when you think of King David? Well, for me, I think of David and Goliath. Some people might go to David and Bathsheba, and that's because uh, we talk quite a bit about the sin of David. But those weren't the only two things that David did. David didn't just kill a giant, become king, and then have issues, (laughs) big issues, sleep with somebody else's wife and then kill her husband. He did many other things that were wrong in the sight of God, and he did many other good things in his life. And those are documented in detail in Scripture for us. And you go to find out that even at the end of his life or towards the end of his life, he was far from perfect and God was still working on him. But he was a man after God's own heart. And that gives me hope. Um, A man such as I, I can be redeemed and restored and brought back to God and brought through the process of sanctification here in the New Testament time just as David was. I know that he didn't have the Holy Spirit, and we do, so we have a little bit more of a responsibility to lean into God and to listen to that voice. But we have hope that because of all of the sin of that, that we've seen come before us and those people, uh, the authors even of the Old Testament and the New Testament, all of those sins it can be found as complete hope compositions, uh, listing a single genre, or focusing that's on a little off topic or area. I, I just love, for example, the Song of Solomon that unfolds all throughout Scripture, namely the Old Testament, or complete compositions, including or incorporating multiple different genres. The next thing that we see is its uniqueness in its literary genres. For example, the Bible is also unique in that it has a multitude of distinct literary forms and genres that can be found within its pages. Many different topics, many different issues are discussed. Uh, Just about every condition you find in the human race is found in scripture. Gerd Theason, professor of New Testament at University of Heidelsberg, highlights the importance of biblical genres when he stated, biblical texts are of various sorts. Treatment of one sort of text provides practice in dealing with all texts of the same sort. Narrative, poetic, legal, and argumentative texts of the Bible can be therefore treated as exemplary as well as the various biblical genres identified by the area of biblical scholarship called from criticism. In principle, no single sort of text is privileged. No single sort of text stands alone, For uh, is basically what he's saying. Central themes appear in all forms. Creation is recorded as narrative. Trust is expressed in prayer, Psalms 23, for example. Monotheism is mandated in a commandment, Exodus 20, verse 2. Justification is expounded in a disputatious letter, the, the book of Romans. Theodicy, the question of God's justice, is examined in wisdom dialogue in the book of Job. 
The Bible is not a, a single person or people's text, but a compilation of different forms and genres. Each must be appreciated on its own terms. Other ancient literary works utilize a multiplicity of literary genres, but the biblical authors use them in order to focus their audience's attention on one supreme narrative or meta-narrative. We each can look into scripture every single day. This is one reason why we should read it commonly, to find answers and issues that re- relate to the things that we face in life today. It is very unique in, way, in the way in which it was written in its genres. We find answers to marriage questions. We find answers to sex. We find answers to uh, drug use and being sober or not. We find answers to church problems. We find answers to uh, justice and judicial issues. We find answers to so many things, like you name it. If it is a, uh, a concept, if it is principle-based, you'll find answers to it. In scripture. The next thing that I believe that uh, we can go on and view here that makes the Bible unique is its uniqueness in its languages. The uniqueness in its languages. The Bible is written in three different primary languages, two Semitic and one Edo-European. Two of them being Semitic and one Edo-European. That's a weird word, but I'm sh- <laughs> anyway, let's, it goes on to explain. Each with a unique character and essence. One thing that I find super significant, along with the Bible being written in three primary languages, uh, we see a reflection of God's desire to have this word, this book that we now call the Bible, go out to every tongue. We see issues happen, issues take place, and I believe it was satanic attacks all through history when people, yes, even well-meaning people who profess to know who God was, who profess to have the truth, I think of our, you know, I've got friends who are Catholic, but I think of the Catholic uh, denomination or whatever you want to call it back when it was fairly young, uh, killing people. I think of uh, the one of the Protestant denominations, Lutheranism, killing people. I think of the, another Protestant denomination, a Calvinistic denomination that was taking root back when it was young, and they were killing people. Why? Because Christians of that day wanted to take this word and to spread it to all languages and to interpret it literally. And they wanted to take this word and be able to look into it for themselves, not just look up to a priest or not just look up to a bishop to explain to them what needed to take place. We see William Tyndale, for example, a very scholarly individual and a Catholic priest, uh, begin his descent away from the Catholic Church back when he uh, realized that there was something devious going on when the Catholic Church stood up and said, we are the only ones who can read and understand Scripture, and that is why it was only in Latin available to the common man in Latin at that time. And if you knew Latin, that meant you were learned, and most of the time you couldn't learn Latin unless you were a priest or of that sort. And so William Tyndale stood up and proposed, let me write an English Bible, a Bible that the common man can understand. And they did not like that at all. They chased him to the ends of the earth. And as he wrote his version of the uh, English translated Bible from Latin to English, um, at the end of his life, he was burned to death after being strangled at the stake. And his very last words were a prayer, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. 
we see that the scripture has withstood the test of time and gone through many language changes and was written in three primary languages. Uh, basically, everything I just said has nothing to do with the fact that it was written in three primary languages. But I want to tie that back to the idea or the principle that we uh, should, the, the scripture was written for everyone to be able to read. And that is why it was written in these three primary languages that in which most of the world spoke or had knowledge of in the days in which it was written. God wanted everyone to be able to understand and read scripture. We see it's unique in its teachings. The next thing we see it's unique in its teachings. Not only in its historical background and development is it, is it unique, but the Bible's message is also unique. The Bible's principles, the Bible's things that it puts forth within its pages, the message of the scripture as a whole and every individual message is unique. This is what distinguishes Christianity from all other religions and secular worldviews. Kenneth R. Samples, uh, adjutant professor of the apologetics at Biola University, once wrote, Much of society today knows so little about the specific beliefs of classical Christianity, the core or fundamental beliefs of Christianity. Therefore, many people are unaware of historic Christianity's unique perspective on God, Christ, the world, humankind, values, death, and suffering. Historic Christianity embodies numerous beliefs that are theologically and philosophically volatile, in the best sense of the term. The Christian faith contains powerful truth claims that have transformed the church and turned the world upside down, even as people boldly stated that uh, accusation when the people began to preach that Christ was God uh, after Christ rose from the dead and ascended to the Father. They began to preach it in, uh, in a specific town. I can't remember the town off the top of my head. But that was the accusation that these men had received upon themselves when they began to teach that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that being Jesus Christ and the word being God. When they began to teach that, they said, these that have turned the world upside down have come hither also. They are here and they are turning the world upside down. And hey, check this out. If you turn a bad thing upside down, what does it make it? It makes it good. These men were taking things that Satan meant for evil and flipping it on its head and the powers of darkness don't like that. The powers of darkness don't like when the book, when the word of God, tears into the very foundations of hell. Christianity's initial dangerous ideas started with 12 men, Jesus' apostles. And this is a continuation of the quote from uh, Kenneth Samples. And within 300 years came to dominant, dominate rather the ancient Roman world. And for more than a thousand years after that, the historic faith dominated all aspects of Western civilization. The advance and entrenchment of secularism over the last couple hundred years make these Christian ideas fresh and explosive. We go on to see some explosive ideas that rub everybody who doesn't want to believe in God wrong. We see these ideas uh, reflected in, in beliefs like the Trinity, the three-in-one Godhead. Again, we don't have time to get into all of these, and we're about out of time, actually, as it is. We see the, the Trinity and how God may manifests himself into three distinct personages, but all, all being one. Uh, again, maybe we'll do a whole episode on the Trinity here in the very near future. We see uh, concepts that clash with every other religion like faith versus works, not being able to work your way to heaven or not being able to work your way to God. We see contrast with uh, any, basically any other major world thought 
in Scripture. I believe that, you know, challenge me on this. If you want to leave a comment on a thought process that is not challenged in Scripture, please feel free to comment it below this episode. But we see the Word of God coming against and being contrary to the world system as a whole through all of time. And even more so today because we are such a uh, an ever-secularizing culture, not just in America, but in the world as a whole, as we run as fast and as far as we can from a deity or God. With episodes like these, we want to take the Bible and show you that you can not only uh, know that the Word of God is unique, as we've stated many times in today's episode, but you can know that it is true. We'll have many episodes that build upon this fundamental truth as we move forward in, in other episodes on the Bold Believer podcast. Get into that book. Study that book. Know that book. It will set you free. The Bible says that the truth will set you free when you come to know it. How will you know it? Well, study it. Read it for yourself. Uh, That's about all the time we have today for getting into the uh, Word of God and its uniqueness, but I hope I've given you some food for thought in regards to what makes the Bible unique. We've seen that it has withstood the test of time. We, uh, we haven't been able to get into the, uh, some of the manuscript evidence and all the other things that back up the validity of Scripture. And again, these are all topics that we'd love to cover in upcoming episodes. But what did you think of the things that were presented in this episode? Was it clear enough for you? Was, were there some things that maybe you'd like to ask some questions about? Again, on Spotify, there's always a questionnaire that we list below the episode. And if so, if you're listening on, on Spotify, please... Please fill that out. Let me know what you think of this episode and other episodes like it. And once again, come back next time for another episode of the Bold Believer podcast, airing weekly and wanting to help strengthen and sharpen your faith so that you can go out and be a bold believer. Love y'all. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. Be sure to give us a rating and follow us for more Christ-centered content as we learn and grow together wherever you get your podcasts. Now, go out and be a bold believer.